This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. And we're actually back for part two of our one-year anniversary. Now, last week was part one of our review of our Autopad stocks we had in the first year of the show. It's been a tricky first year, right? So we started in September last year and we've ended in September this year. So it's been a bit of a wild ride. Today, we'll be giving you an update on the 10 remaining stocks. So we have Ulta Beauty on on Holdings, Magellan Financial Group, Pinnacle Investments, Walt Disney, Vimy Resources, which is now actually Deep Yellow, Elders, Independence Group, Playside and Microsoft. That's right. Now, before we get into all of that, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shore and Partners, and of course, our Autopad episodes are the special ones that we like to talk about, companies, outlook, earnings, and such like, please note that our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice, nor is it a financial product. So always go out there, guys, and seek your own independent financial advice before you make your investment decisions. And do your own research. Totally. Now, remember last week, Felicity, I mentioned that I was keen to see the full Dusk FY. 22 report. Yes. So what was the report like? Well, when we pretty much wrapped the episode a few days later, they released their full result, which was largely in line, you know, given with the pre-announcement they made back in July 2022, which were the numbers I was quoting in our last episode being part one. Now, they didn't give really an update for FY23 guidance, which was also expected given that this business is quite skewed towards the Christmas period being their biggest sales period. But pleasingly, the first eight weeks trading updates so far in FY23 year to date is, you know, yielding pretty strong numbers and and very robust, up about 33% increase in sales on the previous period. So that's positive. That is positive. Good to see. And look, it's tough in the retail environment. So um, a positive is a positive, right? And the key takeaways uh, for me, there's there's a few, but I'm just going to focus on a couple. The five-year like-for-like sales average is up 12%. They're rolling out new stores. Remember, that was one thing that I was looking for. So that's good. And they're optimizing their promotions. So their Mother's Day sales strength is going really well. They're um, enjoying nice price increases. They're managing their cost inflation. They're managing their inventory. And the rewards subscription uh, penetration is going well. I'm a member. Hopefully, other people have signed up to that. So it's important to remember that you know, given the context of the environment, given the context of the markets and the retail sector, it is pretty tough out there. A lot of businesses are in the same boat, which is they're cycling off a really great COVID, you know, growth period. Uh, now they're just coming back to earth. So when you put it into context, Dusk has reported pretty good results, in my opinion. Um, you know, the stock actually rallied on that day 
about 9%. And, you know, like we mentioned in our order pad and sort of chatted about last week, it's a great position long-term for growth. It's got a very addressable large market. Won't be surprised in five years' time if the company's gained even further market share, being already a category leader, and continues to drive scale. You know, it's really capitalised, like you said. Um, I think you said also last week, it's it's great position for growth, no debt. I love that. No debt. And paying a 7% dividend yield. So just wanted to give you that quick update, guys. So it's still a buy. That's good. We'll keep it on the order pad for now. Still a buy. That's right. Not We haven't actually removed anything from the order pad. Now, also last week, we wrapped pretty quickly on CrowdStrike because it hadn't yet reported. So what's the update there? Yeah. So I guess a few key takeouts before we get into the second part of this episode. So as expected, there were really strong results in line with our high expectations. They actually put up a really nice another really strong quarter with a 4% revenue beat and 2% ARR beat, solid margin outperformance and an increase to the FY23 guide in excess of the second quarter beat. I think most importantly is management sounded really confident on the business outlook. So like other cybersecurity businesses, CrowdStrike cited increased budget scrutiny, but has not seen this translate into slip deals or longer sales cycles. Now the pricing environment is actually getting more competitive. We do expect CrowdStrike to stay competitive, apples for apples. However, they continue to find success selling a broader platform of endpoint-centric solutions than some of their peers. So for me, again, this is probably one of my top picks and I love cybersecurity because, you know, there's always so many different hacks and it's so important in this new age. So all in all, it's a really solid result for one of our top picks. Now, let's get into the rest of the stocks we pitched. So during the month of February 2022, we added two more international ideas to our order pad. So Candice went with Alter Beauty and I picked on holding. So Candice, can you give us a little bit of an update on Alter Beauty? Yes, definitely. So just before that, a quick reminder, this business is a US-based beauty wellness um, retail business, essentially, the code being ULTA. And I was chatting about Ulta back when the stock uh, was trading around sort of 360 US per share levels. So um, since then, the stocks, you know, rallied when we were first talking about it, Felicity, up about nearly 18%. So that's always lovely. But I think the reason why, if you unpack it, you know, I just sort of gave you the update on Dusk. It is a pretty tough environment, but I guess the retailers that are managing their inventory, balance sheet looks good, and they're still growing in this tough environment when consumers are kind of watching their wallets. That signals to me, this is a um, pretty unique business opportunity. So for me, the company um, pleasingly gave an update to the markets and the story is really stepping in the right direction. So in Q2, it was really broad-based growth across all their sectors. Just want to highlight a few things. When you look at retail, you look at same store sales, hence why the market calls it SSS. That was up 14.4%, which was above market expectations, which was sitting around 12. Um, Largely the same store sales growth was due to the strong demand in core and beauty and wellness trends and product innovation. I guess being a female, I would argue, look, beauty products are, are an essential item right? It doesn't really matter what goes on in the household budget. You still need a lot of these stuff to to just be a woman at the end of the day. So well, we think we need them. <laughs> well, that's right. Great marketing, right? Um, but you know, you can see it in the numbers, notably three-year CAGR, same source sales trends is really accelerating. It's nearly up about 10% um, in the previous quarter. So 
Management reiterated that they haven't actually seen a, a witness to the slowdown in the recent quarter. Spending trends, at least in the US, this is where it's based, across all income cohorts held up well, but they did see some softness in June given the macro backdrop that we saw. Another aspect, this, which is similar to Dusk, so if I compare kind of apples for apples or beauty products and you know discretionary items like that, similarly, Ulta had membership growth of 10% in the period. So that's great. Great. Double digits. Take that. Also, similarly to Dusk, Ulta's rolling out into different retailers in the US. So they've added 59 target shops. They launched their UB Media and they're increasing their e-com order sales to 25% of the total sales. That's actually up 20% year on year. So all in all, it's a beat on expectations up and down the P&L for Ulta. Okay. So that does sound really positive. So it seems like retail in the beauty segment is really holding up strongly. Spot on. So I think in summary, I'm sort of more comfortable in that side of the retail sector and I think Ulta is well positioned to achieve the high end of its outlook. In terms of valuations, UBS actually have a price target of 530. That's up from previous, which was 500. And consensus, because we like to look at that, they have an overweight call on the stock with a price target in 12 months to reach 483. So still really liking Ulta. Fantastic. And so my international pick was actually on holding. So the code is ONON on the New York Stock Exchange. It was pitched around $27.80 and it's currently around $20. So we're currently down about 28%. However, the results show a really strong outlook for the athletic footwear and retail space with demand actually continuing despite ongoing macro challenges. So a few highlights for me were they actually delivered a big second quarter sales and EBITDA beat. It also raised its FY22 sales and EBITDA guidance to levels which exceed current street estimates. So tick there. The report shows some fundamentals are very strong and above expectations. So the beat and raise despite major inflation global supply chain congestion, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, China lockdowns, as well as big FX swings. I'm not sure if you've noticed that, but they've been huge. Now, we think investors have been mistakenly actually lumping on on in with profitless growth tech stocks, which has really been hurting sentiment because net sales actually rose 67% year on year. So for us, we're reiterating a buy and think on continued focus and innovation, performance, athletes, sports, direct-to-consumer selling, and maintaining its really premium full-price brand image will lead to industry-leading sales growth and earnings beats. So, with that being said, UBS's 12-month price target is $25, consensus is $28.50, the most bullish is actually $32, and bearish is $24. So, even the most bearish outlook is higher than what it's trading at now. Yeah, always good to same. Now, Candice, your second one for this second half is Magellan, and this was actually the first sell. So what are your thoughts on Magellan now? That's right. When I first put the sell thought on Magellan back in Feb 22, it was trading around $21 levels, and it last traded at $12.44 levels. So unfortunately, I got this call right. Um, Now, to be clear, I wasn't talking about short selling the stock. Um, More though, if I was a holder of Magellan, I just thought it was time to sell out, hopefully in profit if that was your personal case. I'm still sticking with the conviction for that sell reason for the following reasons. Magellan delivered a soft FY22 result with about a 4% miss 
on um, our guidance in terms of its core funds management business. They reported base management fee growth um, was actually down 7% for the full FY22 year, largely driven by fee margin pressure. That appears to be mostly kind of impacted in the institutional repricing. And also the new CEO has only really had about a month in the new role. So it's there's not really much information we can go off in respect to their strategic direction and outlook, but you know maybe that will be reiterated or given some sort of update in the AGM. So look out for that. However, though, a lot of these financial um, stocks, you know, they are really well capitalized. So what is good to see is the balance sheet is looking very strong. Lots of cash, you know, on the books in that sense. And it's important to remember that fund managers, it's really hard to always be the top performing fund manager, right? Like I think only 3% or something like a silly stat like that stay in the top performing funds. But, you know, since IPO back in 2012, it has been one of Australia's fastest growing fund managers. Um, I'm just not a buyer at these levels. And I think that the outlook is going to be tough for the next few years with likely lower fee margin pressures, particularly in the institutional clients and potentially more outflows. So consensus agrees with me with an underwhelming, I guess, sell valuation of $11.50 per share. So that implies a little bit more downside of about 10% on the current share price. Yeah. So a bit more downside to come. So hopefully listeners got out of that one when we had the sell. It really has actually been a really tough time for fund managers. And I guess you need to be quite selective on what managers you do have in the portfolio because there's so many great companies out there. Is it the right time to be investing in fund managers? I'm not sure. Now, my second pick here was actually Pinnacle Investment Management. PNI is the code on the ASX. Um, they actually had a fairly positive report um, for their base fees driven by a mix shift. So, what do I mean by that? So, the combination of retail versus insto, domestic versus offshore, into an affiliate slash asset class mix actually drove the base fee margin up 5.1 bit. So that's interesting, although there's been a lower than average FUM inflows. Now, there has been expense growth supporting strategies that should drive net flows. So hopefully things turn around in the future. Um, P&I's FUM subject to performance has also increased from 36% to 31% year on year. I think because Pinnacle actually has a really good mix of fund managers. Yeah, it's well diversified, right, across different asset classes. Well diversified. They've got our favourite metrics there. They've got Hyperion, which has been hit hard. But again, fantastic manager. Um, so underlying trends, I guess, like the higher base fee margin, increased share of fund capable of generating performance fees, and the Horizon 2 investments also have the potential to drive earnings ahead of expectations down the track. Now, most brokers on this report have actually raised the price target on P&I based on this update. So for me, it's a bit of a hold at the moment. So UBS has a price target of $12.20 per share. Consensus is $12.41. The most bullish is $14.70 and most bearish is $10.26. But for me, it's a, it's a hold. Uh, we've got other investments that I'd rather put a bit more money into at the moment. Yeah. And one of them being, I think, is my pick that we had next up, right? So uh, recently, Walt Disney, and when I say recently, on the 10th of August, in fact, Disney posted better than expected results on both the top and bottom line. And a key standout for me was the increased spending at domestic theme parks. So that's a positive for me. Yay, Disneyland is back. 
With who? Although I actually did see an article recently where a family was gobsmacked about how much it cost them for a day out in Disneyland. But I guess that's good if you're a Disneyland shareholder. Yeah, monopolised business. That family still went to Disneyland is the point and they still paid the prices and also the parks have increased their prices and they still stayed and had a great time. So, And that's why I really like the business and I think this update in particular really reflects that. So quick stats for you, earnings per share was reported at $1.09 in fact versus consensus which was 96 cents, so beat, and revenue came in at a whopping $21.5 billion versus about $20 billion expected. So Bob Checker, the CEO, actually wrapped it really nicely on the um, recent Q3 results earning call. And what he said was, this is me quoting him now, Disney Plus is still a young business and we're still learning more and more every day about the service's ability to attract new fans to our powerhouse franchises. Powerhouse franchises. That is a good summary. So I'm just going to let that sink in. I think that statement in particular really summarises why I like Disney and I think it's the reason why I'm going to hold by more, hold by more for the long term. So firstly, Disney Plus was only launched back in November 2019 and it's already catching up into such a crowded space. Subscriptions rose for Disney Plus to $152.1 million during the third quarter, higher than the market expectation of about $147. Meanwhile, over at Netflix, boom, 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 subscriptions are in decline. Since inception for Walt Disney back in the 1920s, the company has constantly reinvented itself to remain relevant for families. Started off in films, then parks, merchandise, online streaming. Now they're into sports. Where to next? Space. Who knows? Yeah, wow. So Walt Disney Company is actually responsible for 47% of the sports hours watched by 18 to 49 in their demo of Q3. So their NHL deal. I think is massive um, and it's actually increased ownership by 60% in 2021. And then the third point I think which was really what he was summarising in that statement is you can't deny that the board and the management team of Disney have just nailed the monopolisation of this industry. Their original content is very compelling, think Star Wars and, and everything that they're rolling out on Disney+. Plus. They're winning all the awards as well in the media and film industry And they also have their massive branding power and balance sheet to just buy up the next attractive franchise anyways. So for me, I think it's a great result. That's really the update is um, continue to watch Disney. UBS uh, places a valuation to reach $145 per share in 12 months. Similarly, the market agrees with UBS call with an overweight recommendation pretty much around the same levels at $139.50. But last trader price was 111. So, you know, since I pitched Disney, we're down about nine and a half percent. But I'm not worried given these levels. I think it's, you know, pretty much just buy, hold, whatever you can do, stay the journey. I'm a believer in the company and the outlook long term. Well, it's one of those classics, right? Like an Apple or Microsoft that you just buy and hold, maybe take some profits along the way when we've got a really good bull market, but it's one that you wouldn't want to sell out of. Exactly. Now, this next company in the same Autopad episode, Felicity Pitched, has been one of our best performing companies. So, what is the update on Vimy Resources? That's right. So, this one's been quite exciting. So, since we pitched it, there's actually been a merger. Now, we pitched it at 19.5 cents. Vimy Resources was actually merged with Deep Yellow Limited. So, the new code is DYL on the ASX. Now, you should be up around 65 to 83%, depending on 
when you bought it. A little recap of Vimy for everyone. They're actually a Perth-based resource development company. Their flagship project is the Mulga Rock Project, and it's actually one of Australia's largest underdeveloped uranium resources. And you know how much we're loving our uranium play at the moment. We certainly are. So what actually happened with the merger? Give us the details. Okay, so Deep Yellow acquired 100% of the fully paid ordinary shares of Vimy. Now, Vimy shareholders received 0.294 new fully paid ordinary shares in Deep Yellow, which actually implied a valuation of 0.285 cents per Vimy share. So this was a 35% premium. Don't you love how confusing sometimes demergers are? So, all right, let's break it down. What's a real life example that we can all relate to? Okay. I had 30,000 Vimy shares, right? With a cost base of 17 cents. Now my return on the merger was 65%. I now have 8,820 deep yellow shares with a new cost base of 58 cents. And the current share price now is $1.08. I'm now up around 83%. So why I think this is still a really compelling business and why I would actually be buying more is the uranium industry is really well positioned for significant potential in value uplift. With the sanctions on uranium as a result of the Russia-Ukraine war, there has been further rise in the spot price. Now, investors' sentiment towards uranium is also increasing, driven by the acceleration in the clear energy thematic and decarbonisation, which is so important. So the merger at this point in the cycle actually provides huge opportunity for significant value accretion. The merge group now has the largest attributable resource investor amongst its listed peers. It also has a really strong balance sheet size enabled by the merge group to also have increased funding flexibility and decisively target tangible merger and acquisition opportunities. So watch this company. It's definitely a buy from me and a hope for our listeners and I'll be buying some more. So it's trading at $1.08 as we speak and there's only one broker that actually covers it now and Sean no longer covers Deep Yellow or Vimy. Uh, the price target is $1.71. So a bit of upside here. And that's an example when it makes sense for companies to join forces, right? Because Now they can be a bigger player in that space. So next up in the next order pad that we dropped, um, which was around April 2022, I was pitching Elders Group, which is the Australian agricultural business. Um, It was around about the $14.20 levels. Last traded price more recently is around $11. So yes, we're down about 17% but I'm not worried long-term in terms of the business. Um, Nothing's really changed in my opinion. If not, maybe the outlook is a little bit better than previously when I was talking about it. And the share price reaction, I think, is short-lived. Yeah, and look, since you pitched elders, the biggest news has been the outbreak of the foot and mouth disease. Exactly. So literally like a week later in the early parts of May 2022, the news broke of the outbreak of foot and mouth disease, or FMD for short. Love that timing, right? (laughs) Yeah, such great timing. Always happens to me. Um, but what you don't know is you don't know at the time and you just, you know, stick to the reasons why you like the business long term. So it broke out in uh, cattle actually in Indonesia and then it was quickly spreading, if you remember, to other parts of the world, in particular Bali. But the disease is not in Australia and it's still not today, in fact. But nevertheless, it's a risk to the ag sector. So the share price naturally reacted. But like I said, I think the selling 
you know, so far has been probably overdone. And I actually think it's a buying opportunity. And let me tell you why. So firstly, the Australian state and federal governments are doing everything they can to, you know, in terms of a range of activities to manage the biosecurity risks posed by FMD. So they're doing things like tighter increased international border control measures for passengers and goods arriving in Australia from Indo. They're looking at providing vaccines. They're boosting biosecurity education and awareness. Got to also remember that North America, Central America, Australia and New Zealand and some of the countries in Europe have not actually had FMD outbreaks in the last 50 years. So we are low risk in that sense and we are very good at keeping it at bay. If you look at the business, livestock represents about 22% of all elders FY22 total gross margin in fact. And animal health represents a further 5% and feed and processing around 2%. Now, obviously, if FMD did, you know, breach Australian borders, it would have a direct impact to the business model. Um, But having said that, elders' gross margin composition is reasonably well diversified with around 70% coming from non-livestock-related activities, at least directly. Okay, that's interesting. So what do you mean by non-livestock-related activities? I mean different parts of their business like fertilisation, for example, other retail, ag cam, wholesale products and real estate. These are all key different generators for the company profits at the end of the day, which is basically largely not linked to livestock profits. So therefore, FMD is is low risk um, given the diversification of their revenues. And then finally, Felicity, I think what's really interesting about elders and, the, and I think why the share price overreaction has been short-lived is because the upcoming winter crop season combined with North American you know, supply chain issues that we keep hearing about, this should result in solid earnings growth for Aussie farmers over the next 12 to 24 months. So I think these conditions are bigger than than what the company can control, but they're well positioned to increase earnings over time. Yeah. And look, what I read this morning is that the Australian Bureau of Agricultural Resource Economics and Sciences actually released their September 22 crop report. Now, first impressions were circa 9% upgrade to the winter crop forecast and another strong summer crop also forecasted. So I guess our first impressions are that the data bodes well at the Australian agricultural sector and elders, right? Yeah. Hence why I'm sticking with the buyer conviction. So it's probably not fallen enough off its perch for me personally to to buy more because I think this overreaction fear investor sentiment, like I said, is temporary, I believe. So I won't be surprised if the share price bounces back pretty quickly once calm is restored. I'm not alone in this belief. Um, so consensus places an overweight call on elders to reach a 12-month price target of $16.14 levels. Obviously, our analyst at Shoreham Partners is really bullish on the name. Phil has a valuation of $20 per share. Let's hope he's right. (laughs) Let's hope he's right. And last traded price was $11.50. So if you're still not convinced, guys, go back to the episode that we hosted with Mark Allison from Elders on our show a couple of weeks back because he really just lays out the land, you know, of why the business is a bit of a no-brainer. They control what they can control. They're diversified. And who doesn't love supporting Aussie farmers at the end of the day. 
That's it. And I think, you know, confidence in management is really important um, and a lot of confidence in him. Now, my pick for this episode was actually Independence Group. So another resource pick, code is IGO. It was pitched at about $14.28. It's currently around $12.78. So it's down about 10%. This has been a real goodie because timely acquisitions have really met with commodity tailwinds. So woo to this one. Uh, A few highlights from me. uh, They actually posted a record FY EBITDA of $717 million. The TLEA venture delivered an inaugural dividend to IGO of $71 million in June. This was a really strong first-year contribution from the Lithium Joint Venture, delivering IGO a share of the net profit. So that was $177 million. These are very big numbers here. Now, at the Kiwana, the first production of battery-grade lithium hydroxide during the quarter was a really another important milestone allowing for qualification processes to commence with respective offtake customers. So watch this space. Another interesting point from me was really that IGO completed the acquisition of Western Areas via a scheme of arrangement on the 20th of June, 2022. Now the net assets of Western Areas have been included in IGO's accounts from this date onwards, including cash acquired of 94 million. Um, There was a bit of net cash outflows of 19 million for the 10 days to 30 June, 2022. And a nice little dividend of five cents per share, fully franked. Uh, So this is a safer bet. I think for me, it's really kudos to the team of IGO for adding two very timely and commercial acquisitions in the space of two years and now banking the cash flow benefit and bankrolling nickel and lithium growth. So for me, it's a buy or it's a buy more. Um, Take advantage of this market volatility. I think it's lovely that uh, companies start rewarding shareholders, right? When, when their play starts to play off with a with a dividend, so that's great. So give us the rundown on valuations as it stands right now. Okay, so the short price target is about $14. Consensus is $14.49. The most bullish is $21 though, so I hope they're right. And the most bearish is actually $8.40. But I think this is one of those companies, kind of like Omin Resources or a BHP or a Fortescue, that I think will keep going from strength to strength. And a little story here is we had one client who's been a very long-term supporter of IGO they've actually got a cost base of $1.06. Now, in the COVID crash, it was as low as $3.20. So I think what an opportunity. And I think this is really important to think about at times like this. It really does show that long-term investing can pay off if you back the right businesses, quality businesses. Exactly. And have conviction just to stay the long haul. And they topped it up, right, in the COVID crash? They did top it up, yeah. So their cost base was actually even lower than six. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they had to buy more shares, as you do, because a lot of people like to buy. If companies continue to hit their milestones, they actually like to add to quality positions. Um, you don't have to wait until there is a sell-off to do so. It's I guess it's just different ways of managing portfolios. Now, Candice, this is our last two stocks for the order pad. What did you pitch? Yeah, sort of sad when you think about it that we've had a year of adding stocks to the order pad given it's our one year anniversary. But the last one for me also uh, was a large cap, you know, sticking to my sticking to my theme and what I like as an investor personally. So that was Microsoft. We're up about nearly 5% um, when I first joined it to the order pad. So I guess the recent update in Q4 that they gave uh, to 
the market, which was announced in July, the stock did rally on the back of that announcement, uh, about 10%. So clearly the market liked what they had to say. So what did the report say? Okay, well, quarterly revenue was up 51.9 billion, uh, which is a 12% increase or 16% in constant currency. Microsoft liked to kind of give a constant currency, you know, given that they're in lots of different markets. Earnings per share was delivered at $2.23, which is an increase of 3%, and Microsoft Cloud surpassed $25 billion in the quarterly revenue. That was actually the, for the first time it was up more than 28%. So that all sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, it does sound great. But in actual fact, Microsoft turned out one of the slowest revenue growth periods since 2020. So it just goes to show that the party, you know, is over or slowing, and it really has been a tough environment for a whole range of businesses across a whole bunch of different sectors, even mega caps like Microsoft. So the update for me really is that Microsoft is signaling macro pressures across most of its segments, but the Q4 June results and the FY23, importantly, that outlook was actually better than feared uh, and it will likely result in sentiment tailwind for other software firms which we're seeing across the sector. So for me, the outlook, it's reaffirmed as the company guided for double digits revenue growth in both constant currency and USD. Even if Microsoft removed the adjective healthy from double digits growth comment, it all points to the conclusion that the macro impact is actually going to be less than feared, which is good. So more than anything, I think that explains why the market rallied after the report. Okay, so you're really still keen on Microsoft. Still keen on Microsoft. In terms of valuation, um, Microsoft trades at a calendar year 23 estimate multiple 25 times, which is a slight premium to other large cap SaaS peers out there, given it's you know got a durable portfolio. But I'm happy to pay a little bit more of that premium, given it's Microsoft, and I think it's going to hold its position as the market leader in the sector. But don't underestimate some of its peers, Felicity, like a company I know you like, Snowflake, for example. They reported very good numbers and the share price rocketed or, you know, caught up down a hill, snowball got bigger, so to speak, 23% on day of reporting. Did you like what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> the snowball got bigger. Oh, gosh. Um, now, what is the UBS price target then for Microsoft? So it's still healthy at 330 uh, over the long term, being 12 months. Consensus agrees. Uh, they place a buy rating with a price target about 327, so pretty much in line. Last traded price around 256 levels. So still still holding on, still really like the business. No brainer, in my opinion. Microsoft, right? Can't argue with that. Can't argue with Microsoft. Well, my final stock is kind of on the other end of the spectrum. So Shore and Partners have also just picked up coverage on this one. So I'm very excited. It's PlaySite. The code is PLY on the ASX. Now, I've actually been in this company personally since around 33, 35 cents when it listed back in December 2020. So it hasn't been listed very long. I pitched it at 63 cents. Now it's currently around 66, 68 cents. So we're up a little bit, about eight and a half percent. It's had highs of $1.42 within the last 12 months. So it's been a bit of a wild ride. But I think with Playside, is they've really built a unique position as Australia's largest independent video game development studio with dual capabilities across their work from hire and the production of its own gaming IP. All right, so what about some highlights since you first talked about PLY? 
Okay, so a few highlights for me are it's a founder-led with an eye for quality and talent. So they've built up an enviable position as Australia's largest independent game development studio. They've also got some global aspirations now in sight, led by the motivated founder-led executive team. And we're also very excited to say that we're actually going to have Jerry on the show soon. So wait for that episode. They've also leveraged their position as a destination employer to reach the scale and capability required to deliver a deep pipeline of original titles, as well as a contract project for leading international studios. So if we want to look at some numbers, we can expect both of these business lines can grow considerably, driving a 26% CAGR through to FY25 with further optionality in potential success of the recently launch Playside Publishing Division. So this is all really exciting. I also think that it's a really rare opportunity to own a local incumbent with the early attributes of a significant developer at an undemanding valuation before it goes big. So this could be a really big winner in your portfolios. So what I did notice in their recent report was that the pipeline looked pretty good. So what are your thoughts on the FY23 pipeline and beyond, I guess? Yeah, so they're basically releasing a record 13 new gaming titles, which will drive an impressive 83% underlying revenue growth rate, which is a really good catalyst for FY23. That's great. So do we know what these new releases might be? Yeah, so like I said in the order pad previously, uh, we've got The Godfather, Legally Blonde, Age of Darkness, which are really exciting. They should materially outperform. Then we have the other side, right, which is the work for hire deals with big name studios that validate plays capabilities. And this would be your Activation Blizzard and 2K Games. Um, They've also got a 15.7 million contracted backlog of work, which it will be substantially realised in FY23. So for me, Play is a buy or a buy more. Consensus is $1.03. Bullish is $1.30 bearish 85 cents and Shaw's new price target is 90 cents. So I guess even the bears have upside from current prices. So we see a lot of blue sky upside potential with play. Um, It's a buy, buy, buy. Buy, buy, buy or play, 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 in fact. (laughs) That's it. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Before we sign off, the reporting season here in Australia has now wrapped. So we actually wanted to give you a few key takeaways from what we observed this earnings season. So these are just our thoughts and feedbacks Um, Obviously, different research companies will have different opinions, but what we have generally noticed is that obviously companies have experienced a challenging prior 12-month period, but overall Australian corporates have actually fared pretty well, which is really good to see. Now, many companies reported higher costs within their businesses and the majority chose to pass them on to consumers. Exactly. Pricing Power 101. You want to look out for those. And then the other point that we noticed was revenues held up relatively well as per, you know, the first comment. And if you break it down across the range, an increase of about 10.6% roughly in revenue versus 8% rise in costs more broadly. So hence the revenues are uh, looking not too bad. Now, cash levels did fall in respect to historical levels given the inflation, interest rate rises and a tougher economic climate. Overall, 80% of companies issued a dividend, which is nice, always nice to reward shareholders, but a fair few of them actually did cut their dividend, about 30% of companies. So it does signal, you know, they're being smart with a balance sheet at the moment. Yikes. So I guess a lot of companies were signaling a likely labour market to remain tight in the outlook, inflationary 
primary concerns to hang around and of course supply chain issues. So the challenges won't stop overnight. So companies which can stay ahead of these issues will be rewarded in the long run. Exactly. So that's a wrap for our show today. We hope you enjoyed this part two of our one year anniversary special Autobot episode. Before we say goodbye, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Schwein Partners, and of course our Autopad episodes are a lot of fun where we chat about lots of different financial figures and the outlook and the markets, please remember that our discussion today, as always, does not constitute as personal financial advice, nor is it a financial product. And everything we've discussed is based on facts known at the time, which is the 6th of September 2022. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email which is displayed in the show notes below also make sure you follow us on at talk money to me podcast for daily market updates and it goes without saying please like share and review our show five stars please until next time see you then talk money to me is a product of equity mates media all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only equity mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals it is not intended as a substitute for professional finance legal or tax advice the hosts of talk money to me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances equity mates media does not operate under an australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the corporation Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.